You're listening to the Gonzo Star Wars Specials. I'm Alex Shaw. Episode 6, Return of the Jedi. This is the last in a series of six episodes, each dealing with a Star Wars film. In the last five weeks, we've done all of the others, so if you've just tuned in, you should definitely go listen to them first. Joining me once more is my regular co-host, Neil Taylor from Game Burst. Hello. Returning for third helpings is his co-host, James Batchelor. Hello. And for the first time, we have Chris Lefty Brown from the Married Gamers podcast. What's up? Jedi shares the same spurious accolade with Revenge of the Sith by virtue of being the most divisive two Star Wars films. Most people love A New Hope and Empire, share a dislike of Phantom and Clones, but the lines blur at the third films of the two trilogies. Some believe Sith saves the prequels, and others believe Jedi killed the originals. It's my second favorite Star Wars movie, so I'm going to be very much in the pro camp tonight. But unfortunately, Xanteriad is not available, so we're all out of con. Uh, so we're going to have to be as objective and critically astute as possible in order to get a balanced argument. Empire had the better ending. I mean, Luke gets his hand cut off, finds out Vader's his father, uh, hand gets frozen, take away by Boba Fett. It ends on such a down note. I mean, that's what life is, a series of down endings. All, all Jedi had was a bunch of Muppets. There was something else going on in Jedi. I never noticed it till today. They build another Death Star, right? Yeah. Now, the first one was completed and fully operational before the Rebels destroyed it. Luke blew it up. Give credit where credit's due. And the second one was still being built when they blew it up. Compliments of Lando Calrissian. Something just never sat right with me that second time around. I could never put my finger on it, but something just wasn't right. And you figured it out. The first Death Star was manned by the Imperial Army. The only people on board were stormtroopers, dignitaries, Imperials. Basically. So when they blew it up, no problem. Evil's punished. And the second time around? The second time around, it wasn't even done being built yet. It was still under construction. So? So a construction job of that magnitude would require a hell of a lot more manpower than the Imperial Army had to offer. I bet they brought independent contractors in on that thing. Plumbers, aluminum siders, roofers. They're not just Imperials. Is that what you're getting at? Exactly. In order to get it built quickly and quietly, they'd hire anybody that can do the job. Think the average stormtrooper knows how to install a toilet main? All they know is killing in white uniforms. All right, so they bring in independent contractors. Why are you so upset at its destruction? All those innocent contractors brought in to do the job were killed. Casualties of a war they had nothing to do with. All right, look, you're a roofer. Some juicy government contract comes your way. You got a wife and kids, the two-story in suburbia. This is a government contract, which means all sorts of benefits. Along come these left-wing militants and blast everything within a three-mile radius with their lasers. You didn't ask for that. You have no personal politics. You're just trying to scrape out a living. Excuse me, I don't mean to interrupt, but uh, what are you talking about? The ending of Return of the Jedi. My friend here is trying to convince me that any independent contractors who were working on the uncompleted Death Star were innocent victims when they were destroyed by the rebels. Well, I'm a contractor myself. I'm a roofer. Done and ready home improvements. And speaking as a roofer, I can tell you a roofer's personal politics comes into play heavily when choosing jobs. Like when? Three weeks ago, I was offered a job up in the hills. Beautiful house. Tons of property. A simple reshingling job. They told me if I could finish it in one day, I would double my price. Then I realized whose house it was. Whose house was it? Dominic Bambino's. Babyface Bambino? The gangster? The same. The money was right, but the risk was too high. I knew who he was, and based on that, I turned the job over to a friend of mine. Based on personal politics. Right, and the next week, the Foresi family put a hit on Babyface's house. My friend was shot and killed. 
didn't even finish reshingling. No way. I'm alive because I knew the risk involved in that particular client. My friend wasn't so lucky. Any contractor working on that Death Star knew the risk involved. If they got killed, it's their own fault. A roofer listens to this, not his wallet. I have to state for the record, here and now, that if Jabba hadn't been awesome, the whole Jabba's Palace scenario, and thus the first third of Return of the Jedi, would have been a washout. Jabba is a masterpiece of collaborative model work and puppeteering. For every slump of the shoulders of the wizened, aged and wise Yoda, we get a trembling chin from this sweating mound of blubber, this malodorous wail of a gangster wallowing in his opium den of self-gratification and vice. It's such a strong character that none of the CGI versions have ever managed to match up. He looks immobile and clearly weighs two tons, his shifty orange eyes gleaming as he ponders his two favourite subjects, mass murder and big pies. You totally buy the idea of his entourage of terrified and equally untrustworthy lackeys and sycophants. He is the giant olive in the centre of the galaxy's crime pizza, and when it comes time for him to die, he doesn't fall to his death or get killed instantly because of an oversight. Leia has to literally throttle this grotesque slug to death with her chain of captivity. It takes an age for his death throes to play out, and it's obvious he's in panicked, agonising pain but as Star Wars deaths go, being choked by Princess Leia in the gold bikini it ranks as one of the best. And he, let's face it, it's not getting punked. He expected everybody else to sort of jump to his aid and everyone's like, oh sod this, I'm getting out of here. Yeah. This is the first time in all of the movies that I really enjoyed the Tatooine sequence. Mm-hmm. I mean, even you know, in A New Hope, I didn't enjoy it as much as this first leg of the last film. Mm-hmm. I thought uh, it was fitting, you know, we see that whole completion uh, where where Luke started in Tatooine, you know, mm-hmm. you know you're going to die here, kid. How, you know, that whole thing. Convenient. Yeah. So when we see him, the first thing we see him do is the Jedi mind trick. Place yourself, okay? Empire came out, and then there's like a two, three-year lull for you before Return of the Jedi comes out. Mm-hmm. And in that min- in that time, you know, we didn't have internet you know, fan fiction was written on, you know, on paper or typewriter paper. Mm-hmm. And uh, with no I mean, means of distribution. Exactly. And the only connection we had to the Star Wars universe was through the comic books. At the every once in a while, we, we would get a, uh, a, a serial paperback. Mm-hmm. And so our imaginations filled the gap. I remember playing with, you know, on, on my action figures and acting it out and thinking who could be the other Jedi and, you know, um, oh yeah, because Yoda said there is another, and obviously for me, I'd already seen like Jedi before I saw Empire. I seem to remember, so I knew exactly who it was. But I can't imagine three years not not knowing who the other one was. It's so obvious if you think about it. So, what, who did you think it might um, be? So, because the majority of the opinion at the time was, you know, if you didn't have knowledge, you know, of that, you know, of twins and all that sort of stuff, mm-hmm. the popular knowledge was that it was going to be Han. Whoa. That would have been cool. You know, in, in that sense, you know, in that gap of not having that immediacy of, you know, finding other people who shared your love for, for Star Wars, mm-hmm. uh, you, you filled that in with imagination. And so here we are, you know, three years later, and we're wondering where Luke is on the journey. You know, by the at the end of Empire, you know, he had doubts in mm-hmm. his own abilities. He found out that, that the the uh, uh, most powerful guy short of the emperor in the in the universe is his father and uh he doesn't even have his lifesaver and so the first time we see him on screen he does the motherfucking mind trick and you're <laughs> like 
fuck yeah, you know, Luke is now fulfilling his destiny. Mm. And he's got such poise at that point. You just think so much has happened in that past year that's that's basically allowed him to collect his thoughts into this sense of focus, which he he didn't have before by any means. And yet you still wonder where his his, uh, loyalties lie, or you still wonder where he is on the path, Mm. because he's not... Dressed in these, you know, the swath robes of of that we saw uh, Ben in, or even Yoda for that matter. Mm. He's dressed in black. Yeah, yeah. See, that was the thing I was going to point out. Like, it's interesting because, like, you know, he he dabbles with the um, the dark side. Empire is all about him um, striking the balance between light and dark, whether or not he'll fall. I think, and, and if you read um, Shadows of the Empire, he does come very close to um, being seduced by the dark side, and he's very aware of it. Mm. And the first thing we'd see him doing this is not the Jedi mind trick. If you, I mean, if you exclude the hologrammatic um, message via R2. Oh, it's the false choke. It's I, the false I said choke. this morning, it's like, that's a bit that aggressive. Exactly. Yeah. And, that's, and that goes against Yoda's, you know, uh, Jedi only uses... For knowledge and uh, defense, yeah. Knowledge and defense, exactly. So he, he's quite... And, and he's dressed like a proper Sith character. Mm. I mean, you know, none of the Jedi, obviously, in the, you know, the prequels and, and that we've seen in the original trilogy, wear black or cloaks or hoods or whatever. He's a biscuit and, um, away from Darth Maul at this point. Yeah. And I thought that was quite interesting. You know, it's quite interesting to think, ooh... Well, you know, this this clearly isn't the same Luke that we that we left. I, I haven't even thought about it in terms of wrong-footing people and making them wonder what's going to happen because it's it's so ingrained in my mind now. I can't watch it and think what's going on here. I, I, it's just like you know, going back and visiting uh, your old home. It's uh, and, and finding it exactly the way it was originally, and it's it's comforting. And I can't put myself in the mindset of it being new and different. <laughs> is simply called Boba Gets Punked. Um, Once again, we get to see Boba acting cool in this one. In Jabba's palace, when surrounded by weird aliens, he's the only one who keeps his cool. So by default, he seems to be a guy on top of things. Unfortunately for his many fans, this is the first instance in Star Wars of an established cool character meeting an ignoble and undignified end, but also possibly the worst. Maul got sliced in two after a furious battle. Django got beheaded because he bit off more than he could chew. Grievous had his weak spot shot repeatedly for massive damage. Mace took his eye off the clearly insane young man. Anakin got dismembered because Obi-Wan had the high ground. But Boba was doing pretty well at first. This was what we've been waiting for. Experienced Jedi versus the toughest bounty hunter in the galaxy. So it goes like this. Boba jets in, using that awesome pack we'd so desperately hoped to see, and gets his gun cut in half. No probs for the fat man, because he's got all sorts of shit in that armour. He busts out a zipline and snares Skywalker's arms to his sides, rendering the saber useless. The line gets cut, and it all goes pear-shaped. The boat rocks, Boba falls over like Jar Jar Binks, and Skywalker gets bored, so he jumps to another skiff. Then, when Boba stands up to coldly cap Luke in the back of the head like the bastard we know him to be, Han accidentally 
knocks that cool jetpack, sending him hurtling through the sky, arms flailing like windmills, and a girlish squeal of dismay bursting forth from his clone lips. He pancakes into the side of Jabba's sail barge, and then rolls down a sandy hill straight into the mouth of the greedy Sarlacc. No hidden weapons, improvisation, or cold, steely resolve. He's a panicking numbskull at this point. And to all you EU fans out there with your aha, but he didn't die rationale because you've read Dark Empire, consider this. If he let this happen to him and went out in such a shameful, clumsy manner, worse than any one stormtrooper you can name, maybe he actually just deserved to die. Uh, hello! Meant to do it, thank goodness. I thought I was doing this thousand years of digestion alone. How did you fall in? What? Fell in? <laughs> Volunteered? More like it. You should have seen it. You would have dug it the most. I was flying around with my jetpack, just smoking rebels with a laser. Ba-boom, ba-boom, ba-boom. Han Solo was all, hey, wait. And I'm like, oh, I've been waiting for this for a long time, Solo. Ba-bang. The big bad Wookiee be growling in hell now. I even put one between Skywalker's eyes, right between those pretty baby blues. But then Jabba the Hutt was all, oh, no, this guy's too badass, man. So then 80 Jedi showed up. I took out about 67 of them, but then 20 dudes finally flanked me. And I was like, you know what, kids? It's been real, Daddy-O, but I'm not giving you the pleasure. So I jumped into the pit myself. On the way down, I was thinking maybe I should have left my party favor. Oh, I did. A thermal detonator right up their ass. Ba-boom! <laughs> That's awesome. Man, at least he didn't go out like a punk. Yeah. Oh, because I looked like a badass. <laughs> Are you crying? Yo. Oh. Huh? <laughs> That's funny. <laughs> I'm okay. Wait, it doesn't do anything. It just rolls and goes, oh, I don't know what the fuck I'm doing. I, this is what I was always confused about. I know we talked about it last week and I was briefly mentioned again. He doesn't do anything. He stands there, says something, and that's it. That's what he does in this movie. He stands there. You know why he didn't freak out when she pulls out the thermal detonator? He couldn't see it. <laughs> or he was asleep. That's no, no, why he can't he, see his face. He's asleep. He, no, no. He's the only one who doesn't freak out. He points his gun, and I, and I will give it. Everyone else around him is going, Oh, no, what's that more better than all going to die? Yeah, but uh, what does he do? He stands with a gun. He holds the gun. We've established that that's all he can do. That's the range of his hands. He can stand and hold a gun. And he happens well, he, to hold it in the right direction. Can but you that's guys it. That's come all he up, does. Can you guys come up with a better ending for Boba Fett? Getting decapitated uh, by Luke. <laughs> Actually, yeah, he just lands and loses. No, I'd, I'd rather have seen like Han's, you know, eyesight return and them have a bit of a gunfight and Han, like, yes. you know, put a bullet straight through the middle of that armor. Oh man, like a like, shootout, like a western shootout. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yes, or yeah, automatically right there, way better because at least that would just be like, at least he got killed by Han that way. Exactly. Or like, exactly. Maybe, it was like Han could have fallen to the ground and like seen a dark shape looming over him and just grabbed the nearest blaster and fired, and could yeah. have basically plugged Boba, uh, but because Boba made an oversight. I mean, that would not be a punking. That would be, okay, right, Han got him at that point. So, yeah, much better. I, I wouldn't have even minded it if it had just been so fast uh, that he'd basically broken his neck on the side of the ship, and then that had just been his corpse dropping down to the Sarlacc. But he goes... <laughs> <laughs> the Sarlacc deaths were all pathetic because you're basically falling into a hole in the ground. I mean, like, you know, if we go by the original 1977, uh, sorry, 1983. 83, thank you. If we're going by the original 1983 version where it's just a hole in the ground, there's no tentacles, there's no digitally 
you know, moving beak. They're just falling into a hole in the ground. All of them just rather than if, if you land on the desert. All right. You're going to have a little bit of momentum. You're going to roll a bit. But you'd stop after like two or three rolls and then you'd start to climb up. Or you could even stand and walk up at that because it wasn't even a steep hill. But no, they all just rolled down. You know, like when you were a kid and yeah, you'd come and to you'd a big grassy hill rolls. and you'd roll down as fast as you could. That's exactly what they're doing. Yay! Oh, shit. And it's this magical blend. I mean, I love the the the, the orchestration to that whole scene. You know, it starts with that. Boom. 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 You know, watching in the theater, you 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 start leaning forward a little bit. You're going, "Oh, it's going on," <laughs> and, and 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 then it just happens. And you know, again, you know, for for someone seeing this, you know, after the weight of Empire, and just absorbing, like, yeah, finally, you know, here we go. Luke really lash out as as a Jedi, and we'll hmm. see how his reaction. And we get to see his lightsaber for the first time, and and oh wait, it's green. You know that's awesome. And all of a sudden, everyone wanted to toss out their old uh, blue plastic lightsabers and go out and buy a green plastic lightsaber uh. know, to beat, beat their their siblings' heads with. This whole feeling of uh, of continuity moving forward, and here you are at, at the threshold of watching it unfold. And, uh, oh, it's just, it was an awesome feeling, you know, back in, in 83, seeing it in a, in a, in, in the theater seats and just going, wow, you know, and then you're back out in line to watch it again. I, then you're reenacting it on playgrounds. I really wish I could have actually seen the Star Wars in the, the original trilogy at the right age in the cinema. That would have been so awesome. Seriously. This film shows the first signs of what the prequels would end up being. It's got lots more Muppets. It's got screenfuls of things going on in the background. It's got silly Ewoks in it for the kids. It's got burp humour. And it's dividing the last act into three sections. Having said that, it's still scripted by Lawrence Kasdan, with better delivery and more emotional punch than A New Hope. It's well acted by Hamill, James L. Jones, and newcomer Ian McDermott, and while it's suspected that director Richard Marquand, now sadly departed, had George over his shoulder the entire time, what influence he was able to exert has benefited the movie over time. By far the most flawed of the original trilogy for what it was attempting to deliver, the Skywalker denouement means that I understand why this is my wife's favourite. I guess I'll have the insensitive bitch with a side of fuck you. You said Vader betrayed and murdered my father. Your father was seduced by the dark side of the Force. He ceased to be Anakin Skywalker and became Darth Vader. So what I told you was true from a certain point of view. A certain point of view? Luke, I know you think you can't trust me. That I'm a liar you just shouldn't believe. But please know it's all true from a certain point of view. You said your name was Ben. Well, it's Obi-Wan. You said my dad was killed. Close, now ain't this fun. Cause technically it's true. From a certain point of view. Point of view? Point of view. And I'm not the only Jedi who's screwing with you. Yes, who? No, not you. The 
last of a Jedi. I said you were, but I wasn't totally straight about your fate. In fact, some say I lied. Because Leia is one too. It's true. From a certain point of view. In that first time when we met. He's weird, you thought, I bet. Why wouldn't I? You're two foot five. But a master nonetheless. Because I can be tall too. It's true. From a certain point of view. So you see, Luke, it all depends on how you look at things. Well, could you at least tell me if Leia's my sister? I kind of have a lot riding on it. Yoda, my friend. Oh, no. After you, Obi-Wan. Did we forget to mention the answer to your question? Yes, it's true from a certain point of view. <laughs> could you be a little bit more specific? Because we kind of made out. Ooh, sorry. Yes, she's totally your sister. Mm, sorry about that, I am. It feels like there's there's no tension in this film. Given that given that everything that's at stake, I mean, you know, this is the grand finale. They've got to you know retrieve Han from a you know dangerous bounty hunter, uh, sorry, uh, crime lord. You know, this is there's a second Death Star for God's sakes. And I, I remember reading the opening crawl, and it says you know construct another Death Star. And I remember sitting there thinking, oh shit. And yet there's no tension. There's no tension that was in Empire. Empire was such a, a tense film and you were on the edge of your seat. And here it's like, you know what? We don't care. We're just, it's, it's one of those done in an afternoon sort of films. The trouble is there, and this is perhaps a criticism I should have leveled at Empire last week and I didn't really, was one of the reasons you had so much of the tension, the chase movie cracking off with that, is the fact that the Millennium Falcon's hyperdrive's bollocksed. Mm. And it's repeated over and over and over again, mm. which is a bit of a shame. I can understand why you saying there's no tension there. I think the final, at the end of the movie, there's more tension in the Vader Empire, Emperor right. mm. uh, Luke part. But they start, and, yeah, I get that. In Empire, it's all about where we're going, uh, our paths and stuff like this. And in return, in return is about who we are. And, the, and yeah. you know, it, so Definitely. it's not as like, doesn't isn't as tension filled even though you know major events happen it's more inwardly uh, looking though it's, it's it's a lot more sort of right. contemplative i think that's the why, reason my wife likes it the best it's possibly the most psychological of all of them right. and there is a clear and it does have a clear resolution for a lot of the characters unfortunately one of the those resolutions is hands a little bit neutered mm, more than that yeah okay. you know about that though i i watching this last night it really made me appreciate this you know think about it you're in carbonite for so many years. A year. Okay. And uh, you're, so you're out of commission. You've already seen Luke and Leia kiss, you know, and, uh, but you're this rogue. You're this smuggler. You know, you're, you're, you're supposed to be too, too, uh, uh, good for school. You know, you're supposed to, you're, you're supposed to be the, you know, the people everyone thinks that you have it together, mm. but internally you don't. Oh, plus you've also well, your your reliability on on what you have been able to do in the past doesn't talk to your you know go and rely on your friends. Right. It did so it didn't pay off when it came to Lando. Exactly, you, your life has and, failed you at that point, and even and Chewbacca could not save you. Yeah, and you're a little bit older than than you know Hotshot uh, Luke Skywalker, and I really am watching this last night. I really appreciate the the whole sexual politics the you know Hansel's uh doubts of, of his own virility really comes across where you know he puts him he he fully is committed to to Leia but he doesn't know you know what's happened in the time he's been gone 
he's unsure of himself. And I think that, that, that troubles him at the same time, um, as trying to, um, find that, uh, happiness he had with, with the princess, mm. you know? And I, I really, you know, maybe it's because I'm an older person now, you know, I'm nearing 40 and I'm starting to see those things, you know, it's like, I, I really appreciated it that, you know, uh, Talking about you know Campbell's you know the heroic masks and you know here in this in the, in this final uh, installment it's all about knowing your own identity. Here we have Han Solo who uh, we know he's not the rogue at heart. He's the hero, and and not and he wants to find love and you know he wants you know, to, bar- to borrow that phrase from the song. He wants to know what love is you know and he wants to have it with Leia and. It, you know, I really thought it was a, an interesting dynamic to his character, you know, like, likable or not, you know. Uh, so yeah, I really identified with it this time around. No, that actually makes sense, cause like you're saying, he's in Carbonite, so he's not gonna be with it for quite a while anyway. He doesn't know what's going on, and the people he, or, or person he thought he could trust, he couldn't, so it's knocked him. The trouble is, if that had been perhaps a bit more clear in the movie, I think we'd all gone, Ah, uh, he's not been new to it. It's like, oh... Just one scene of Han talking to them about how his whole world had been thrown out of goose and how and he, he now didn't know quite how to behave. They and did a similar thing in um, 24, like series six, when Jack has been in prison for like t- two years with the Chinese and being tortured and he comes back and he's in, you know, instantly, you know, stuff's going wrong and terrorists and blah, blah, blah. And he finds a suspect and he tries to um, interrogate information out of him and he just breaks down and he's like, this guy doesn't know what he's talking about. Uh, no, he, he doesn't know anything. The person that's with him goes, yes, he does. Talks to him that little bit further, gets the information, and a little bit later, Jack just says, I can't do this anymore. And I think and if we'd had a scene like that, mm. then we'd have completely understood that Han is he's a fish out of water now. The other thing He's is, got not we, much to be cocky about. Yeah, and the other thing is, when we finally get to see him with Lando again, he doesn't slug Lando at all. It's just like... Hey, thanks, buddy. And then lends him the Millennium Falcon. What? Apparently, the reason Luke went back to Yoda was that George talked to child psychologists who all stated that kids would have trouble really believing that Vader was actually Luke's father. He had to be told by somebody they trusted. I suppose that makes sense. My, you know, no, from I, a certain point of view. <laughs> you, you disagree with that, James? Yeah, I, I bought it first time when he said, I am your father. It's like, wow. And I, I there was such an You didn't have to wait for three years. I suppose you, to, you did have to wait for a year, but you knew there was a resolution. Originally yeah. in 1980, kids didn't even know there was a resolution. They spent three years going, no, no, that Darth Vader's a liar. Uh, what do we think of the speeder bike chase today? A little long. A little too long. Unnecessarily long. But a good idea. No. Not as long as the pod race. I was about to say, <laughs> it, it is the foreshadowing of the pod race. See, I really like the uh, speeder bike chase. It, uh, it has um, a genuine feeling of, of, of speed and kineticism, yeah. and, uh, and you feel that it's incredibly dangerous, and people just die from not paying attention. I, I think it's awesome, and, and particularly so if you see it on the big screen. Actually, yeah, I have seen it on the big screen. I saw it in 1997. I, I can't wait to see it again at some point. In 3D! Special editions. There were many changes made to Jedi over the years. Let's see what you guys make of these. 
A new Jabba's Palace Band musical number, Jedi Rocks, replaces Leptinac. Some other footage is added from the extended music video of Leptinac. The puppet of the female alien singer Cy Snootles is replaced by a new CGI version. I, th- I don't know if they had a new Droopy McCool and Max Rebo, but uh, they had nine new characters added to the Max Rebo band. <laughs> now, I know that, James, you, you hadn't, until I showed you it, actually seen the original version of this. So, obviously, for you, it's an improvement, right? Yeah, I preferred the new, funkier, yeah, this music is so much cooler. Neil, what did you think of the, of this new one in comparison to the old one? I quite like the band bit. It's quite funky, but did we really need to see inside the mouth? Mm. Lefty? Uh, you know, I didn't care for either one, actually. All right, so what? a balanced view. Uh, I, I'm, I'm kind of in two minds, because the first one's really creaky by today's standards, but somewhat charming. The new one is a big razzle-dazzle, and it looks good, and it sounds good, but it, it doesn't feel like it was made in 1983, so automatically I'm taken out of the picture. I'm like, yeah. you know, it's, it's just a bit too far for me. But it does make sense that Jabba would have that kind of big band at his disposal, though. Yeah, I suppose. It's, it doesn't really bother me that much, but... Uh, I kind of like the fact that it definitely separates the original from the new one. It's like they, they don't even just uh, re- funk up the original song. It's a completely different one. This one's interesting. There's an additional scene of Ula in the Rancor Pit. Ula, played by Femi Taylor, reprising her role 14 years after the original film. Taylor was cast in the new scenes after her brother had been talking to a friend that was working on the special editions, who mentioned that they were working on the scenes featuring the dance scene in Jabba's Palace. Taylor's brother mentioned that she was in the original and was in better shape than she was when she shot the original scenes. As a result, she was cast with a number of shots of her new dance moves edited into the original footage, with no noticeable difference in her body within the 15 years between the two shots. Now that's cool. I never knew that. I never knew... What, is that... All the close-up bits where she's going... Is, is new. And some of the uh, shots of her dancing. I did not know this. That, that's good. See, and again, that goes back to the whole, as if it was always there. Those are the best changes yep. to make. Absolutely. Yeah. Agreed. Maybe if you've never seen the film before, you wonder what's down there. But once you've seen it again, it's kind of cooler to foreshadow the the rancor in a much more sort of, oh, my God, if she's terrified of it, what the hell is it? No, I do love the fact that it does, it does foreshadow the rancor bit. I do like that because you are. I mean, I mean, especially because I can remember watching Jedi with my niece mm. and she was like she was terrified just by the fact she never saw it was in there. She was really scared by it. It was like. Now, that is cool. It is a bit kind of 60s spy movie to have someone just drop through a trap door and then you just hear, rum, 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 ah, coming from underneath. <laughs> it's better than dropping into the jacuzzi of bubbles. I'm very badly eaten. <laughs> Boba Fett is briefly shown flirting with Ristel and Lin Mi, Max Rebo's band dancers at Jabba's Palace. Eh. Never noticed it. <laughs> no. 
But uh, they just got a, a dude in the Boba Fett costume, the same guy they got to pose in A New Hope. In 1997, they added subtitles to Jabba's conversation about how much Chewbacca was worth, making 3PO's translation redundant. In 2004, they removed them again. It's like that scream. <laughs> didn't bother, I didn't I didn't even notice in all seriousness. I didn't. I know. Additional scenes of Tatooine of a herd of wild banthers before heading to the pit of Carcoon. Mm-hmm. Not yeah, so bad. I actually quite like it. And then there's the the scene of the sail barge. Originally they had a really dodgy looking rotoscope guy walking around on deck. They've they've fixed that with CGI and that looks a lot better now. Uh the Sarlacc has now extra CG tentacles and a CG beak. Tentacles, yeah. yes. Beak, no. No. <laughs> <laughs> We're all for the tentacles. Now I'm very worried. The, the tentacles the, are fine because the tentacles draw in the prey. The mouth is the hole. That was the whole point. You know, that, that was the entire point that the hole was the mouth. The beak was just unnecessary. It almost a psychologist it will be in touch. <laughs> I was about to say that. You stole my joke. <laughs> Sorry. Okay, this one's so subtle. Again, I've got to say, if I didn't notice it and it didn't bother me, then it should be okay. In 2004, in Anakin Skywalker's final scene when he is not wearing his helmet, the eyebrows of actor Sebastian Shaw have been digitally removed, indicating what happened to Anakin's eyebrows when he got burned on Mustafar in Revenge of the Sith. His eyes have also been changed to blue, and minor cosmetic alterations have been made to his face to more closely resemble the Anakin portrayed by Hayden Christensen in the prequel trilogy. Never noticed. Never noticed that. Anybody? No. Right. I'm fine with that. That's great. What I'm very worried about is them going the whole hog for the next version. You know what I'm talking about. Yes. Maybe the tech wasn't there in 2004, but if they stick Hayden Christian's fucking head on the end and and age him up... like They can do that. I I know they can do that. I've seen Benjamin Button. They can do that. I'm very scared. Now... Go, my son. Tell your sister you were right. At which point I state we yeah, hunt and I, kill I, George I will, Lucas. I will just stand up and scream and throw myself out of the window. No! Now, no, I'm assuming you guys have this on DVD. And, yes. Um, and, I'm, and I'm assuming that Lucas is not standing outside your house forcing you to watch Star Wars in 3D. Here's the thing. If I want to watch it in Blu-ray and HD, if the only HD version available has got this fucked up Hayden Christensen head in it, it's like I can't watch a DVD version in anamorphically justified full widescreen without listening to Tamir Morrison voicing Boba Fett in, in Empire. It changes what you're able to do. I don't mind if he gives us the original versions in HD as well. I mean, it's just not going to happen, is it? He's going to add more stuff, and you're going to have to make more allowances every time you see a new version. As with the destruction of the first Death Star, the second has a more pronounced explosion. Fine. Yeah, happy. Yep. We like explosions. At the end of the trilogy, after the Empire is defeated, scenes of celebration on Bespin, Tatooine, and Coruscant are shown in addition to the original and new celebration scenes on Endor. The musical theme, Ewok Celebration, during the sequence has been replaced with an entirely new John Williams composition, Victory Celebration. Right. Mm-hmm. I'm, all right this, this is another grey area. This is a very tentacles, yes, beak, no sort of thing. Um, the musical thing, fine. Although I'm still disappointed. I, this is the one... The Polynesian-sounding flute bit, yeah? Yeah, the one time yeah. I've ever been disappointed in John Williams is both the Ewoks... Because you showed me the Ewok song. What the... Was okay. that all about? We'll play the original Ewok version now, and then we'll play the new version at the very, very end. Okay. Okay, so original Ewok version sounded like this. Oh, 
Did you ever listen, did you ever play The Wind Waker and those little goblin things that have devil swords like, nah, 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 nah. those those bad guys. That's what that reminds me of. Uh-huh. You, you know what I would like She grown up with it, it might be different. Ah, oh, no. It was just it's the one time I and when yeah, the ninety seven version I liked is nice and you know, calm and serene. But when you think how big and majestic like the um, the the medal ceremony is. Mm. And they used that in the... What's it? Whenever you go and see Star Wars um, A Musical Journey, mm. they used that as the final theme yeah. over that footage. And it works so much better. Sorry, Lefty. Yeah, but medal ceremony. Uh, I was going to say, you know what I would have liked to see is, you know, I rather enjoyed uh, the Ewok song, the, the victory celebration. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, it was corny, but it, it, it seemed fitting for these, you know... Uh, Three steps away from a teddy bear, you know, uh, uh, or as uh, one of the kids that I watched this with yesterday said, you know, oh, look, man eating teddy bears. Yeah, they, and- they are cannibals. <laughs> well, at least they will eat humans gladly. Right. And I mean, it's, it's not even like they don't even know what they are. They're just like, ah, oh, more humans. They will be tasty like the last lot. So. <laughs> <laughs> you know, now, that, so, that, that so, makes me worry because, you know, at the end, you see that um, stormtroopers heads. Helmet, they're playing heads, them. Helmet. I expect a head to fall out of the helmet. Family Guy don't do that in It's a Trap, which is their Return of the Jedi special coming out in December. Then they've missed a trick. <laughs> so, so I would like to see that you know the the Ewoks victory celebration song in there, and then have like a um, you know a, a second ending you know like you know maybe how they ended uh, Lord of the Rings with you had one ending then another ending, um, and in yeah. which they sort of faded into the other song, which I'm not too big of a fan of, but I would like to see the impact of of the universe to it. You know, I, I think that's the nice thing about these remasters is, you know, whether successful or not, it tries to tie, tie in the events of the film with the larger universe. Yeah. And I, yeah, I, I lo- liked I loved seeing, seeing I loved seeing um, people celebrating in um, Tatooine, in Cloud City, and, and then in a dark cityscape, which we eventually found out was Coruscant, or I eventually found out was Coruscant. And Naboo. Like- and Naboo. Don't forget Naboo. Uh, oh, apparently in the 2004 version the, of Naboo... <laughs> A gun gun shouts, we are free! And it's been long suspected that was Jar Jar. It's not. Thank Christ. Thank Christ for that. <laughs> no, well, I like to think that uh, Anakin went back and capped him. <laughs> well, he chucked him out of an airlock. That's what happened. Yes. Well, the, the Naboo and Gungan celebrations I didn't like because that ties it too much to the prequels. And if you're going to yeah. do that, why not go the whole hog? Why not see Camino? Why not see Geonosis? Why not see blah blah blah? Well, because they were sad. No more, no more. Well, Camino, like uh, I suppose, no more clones for us. <laughs> and Geonosians, Geonosians would have been pissed because they were building yeah. the second Death Star. 
<laughs> okay, fair point. And, but it'd be great to see like all these massive cityscapes of people cheering, and then just this empty Camino factory and going, "Well, we're fucked." <laughs> well, we're out of business. Coming 2011. <laughs> During the end celebrations, a brief shot of Luke hugging Wedge Antilles was reinserted. Mm-hmm. Yeah, Fair enough. Like Wedge that. deserves a place, definitely. Yes, definitely. In the Coruscant celebration scene, the Galactic Senate and Jedi Temple have been added to the background. This indicates that the Jedi Temple was not destroyed during the Great Jedi Purge, thus carrying continuity with media releases since Episode 3, such as The Force Unleashed, <coughs> which depicts a post-Purge Jedi Temple in the DLC. I don't mind that too much. I don't know what... Yeah. I, I know I'm being fussy and I don't like Naboo. I liked the Jedi Temple and the Senate. Mm. Just because it makes it more look, oh, you yeah, know, this is Coruscant. Whereas before, I know it's, oh, it's just a city. Oh, look, the it's also it's nice to see that everyone's really happy the Emperor's gone. It's not like the entirety of Coruscant's like, oh, God, no. Because that's a lot of people whose lives were just ruined otherwise. It's, yeah, it's, it's nice to see that basically the Emperor didn't speak for everybody. Right, and uh, here is the Greedo shooting first, Luke screaming, Boba Fett talking like Jameer and Morrison moment. I've been waiting for this bit. Yep. When Anakin, Yoda, and Obi-Wan appear together in spirit form at the end of the movie... Sebastian Shaw is replaced by Hayden Christensen, showing a young Anakin with an old Yoda and Obi-Wan. I hate that bit. I hate that bit. Because if you're going <laughs> to show young Anakin, why do you show old Obi-Wan? I think it's symbolic of, all oh, look, Anakin died when he was younger and then he became Darth Vader. That was clearly the Obi-Wan. intention. Right. Yeah. But it's all bollocks! <laughs> oh. uh, lefty? You know, we got two nays so far. Right. You know, I, I like the original version, but I really, I'm, you know, I don't get all up in arms to seeing uh, uh, Anakin, you know, or Hayden Christensen there, just because I, I don't know, you know, the the people, the young kids are now loving all the films, these you know, kids including, today, you know, including the first three, uh, feel a personal connection to Hayden character now, you know, I I can understand that. It, it, unfortunately, I hate it, yet there's the part of me that goes, well, it makes sense. It does make sense, yeah. Sam, I've I actually got that. Anecdotally, it does. It, it makes sense for the kids. Anecdote. But my, no, no, no. My, my little cousin, um, he, he lost his grandma uh, about a year or so after he was born. And so we never knew his grandma. His mum has been absolutely cut up about losing her mum, obviously, because you know, she was very close to her. Mm-hmm. And then um, when... He first watched Return of the Jedi, having watched the prequels first and then the original trilogy, and Anakin come back. He turned to his mum and said, oh, Anakin's going to come back and look after Luke and Leia. And, you know, Julie goes, yes. Just like, um, you know, Grandma looks after you. And my cousin just burst out into tears. And, and so it, 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 it's there it's the, for the kids, and that, that, it, it ties the whole thing together. And I, I accept it for that, but it's still fucking wrong. Okay. Now, 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 just to put the the fear of God into each uh, each of you guys, and uh, I know it makes no sense at all, but I bet you by the time Return of the Jedi in 3D comes out, we'll have Qui Gon Jinn appearing that, and of course we'll be going, that. we'll all be going. Why they don't? You know, Luke has no idea who that <laughs> Jedi person is, but. Of course, you know, Lucas will say, well, come on, he was the first to join the Force. Oh, now. fuck it, throw Mace in there as well. Just check the whole <laughs> Jedi cast in there. It just it's been a ghost jamboree at the end. If not, if not Qui-Gon, I bet I'll put a fiver down that it's young Obi-Wan. 
Because <laughs> well, I mean, if, you've joined, if you've joined the force, yeah, you don't have to be old. Yeah. <sighs> God. <laughs> Just. Well, have, what about when 900 years old you reach look as good you will not? You know, this is the toughest one for me because I hate, 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 hate Hayden Christensen as an actor. I, he fucked the character completely. But something in me still feels sad for what happened to Anakin by virtue of the fact that Darth Vader does redeem himself. And there's no engagement with Sebastian Shaw aside from in that one speech bit, which he still manages to out-act Christensen. But um, somewhere in my brain it goes, yes, that's Anakin. So much as I hate it, it does make sense, just like you, Neil. And it is a heartbreaking scene, that speech, as well. Mm. More on that later. The Ewoks. As annoying and cannibalistic as the Ewoks are, I have to give props to Warwick Davis for his performance as Wicket. At 12 years old, he was able to act pretty convincingly the physical mannerisms of another species. Yeah, no argument. He's fantastic. Wicket's a great character. Watch his tongue all the time. He's using his tongue almost like a little extrasensory thing. He he keeps sort of playing with it. Because the Ewoks had very little... Well, the the little people inside the costumes had very little ability to move the faces of their their costumes, or even the eyes. But Warwick was very interested in his tongue. And he paid a lot of attention to his dog in in terms of the little head movements and things. And he, he basically copied him. To, to to give Wicket some character and it really worked and I am so happy that Warwick Davis managed to carve uh, a, a pretty damn good uh, career out of uh, starting out here rumours abound that the Ewoks were supposed to be Wookiees originally and it would have served the plot far better if this was so Lucas wanted to see a primitive culture triumph over a technologically advanced one in the way that in recent years the Viet Cong had repelled American troops through jungle warfare on their own turf. The Wookiees were shown through Chewbacca to be actually pretty tech-savvy, so this wouldn't have worked. The fatal flaw in this argument is that the Ewoks don't actually win. They get their furry asses handed to them by the scout walkers and shot to pieces by stormtroopers, their slings and arrows proving only minor inconveniences against the Empire's mighty legion. What turns the tide is... A Wookiee! A Wookiee! <laughs> Commandeering a scout walker and using his their technology against them. Then Han uses the same scout walker to pull a con on the Dogen Imperials in the bunker, who surrender alarmingly quickly and bloodlessly, considering that they're effectively giving up the second Death Star to the attacking rebel fleet. It's a fudged ending, and the Imperials should have won that thing. I would say that uh, the Viet Cong wouldn't have gotten as far as they could did without Chinese and Russian AK-47s. i got to ask you guys, uh, how many of you guys, like, Got a little choked up when the the the, uh, the one Ewok dies. One yeah. Ewok. Um, wasn't bothered. Not really. No. When I was a kid, yes. Now, no. <laughs> but yeah, when I was a kid, that did make me. It was nicely Aww. done because it's it's just like this one Ewok, and and ultimately it's that his friend is really sad about it, and you you get that that emotion from his friend, and you feel the loss there. But I kind of wanted more Ewoks to die. <laughs> <laughs> Not out of bloodthirstiness, just as a sense that, that, that this was an actual war and that there were actual casualties. It doesn't seem like anyone really dies in this fight, apart from the poor sods inside the scout walkers. They get squished. I envision a better version where Leia leads a small team of Wookiee commandos through the war-torn forests of Kashyyyk to take out the shield bunker at the heart of the Emperor's slaving pen, freeing their subjugated brethren and causing widespread Wookiee panic among the Imperials. Instead, we get Saturday morning cartoon violence, hang gliders and catapults. That's kind of laughable in a post-Lord of the Rings world and not a patch on the immensity of the Battle of Hoth. 
This is alleviated by possibly the most stunning space battle ever put to film, as the rebels dogfight around the fully armed and operational battle station, conveying the sheer panic of a ragtag fighting force caught between an armada and an indestructible war machine. Primitive controversy, technological. I can see that with the tree traps, like the uh, the logs and stuff that that kill the walkers. Fine. It's the sticks and the rocks and the slings mm. that manage to take out fully armoured stormtroopers. And even children don't buy that. I didn't buy that. This is a different point of view. The standard Imperial stormtrooper is equipped with the best gear the galaxy has to offer. High-impact blaster-resistant plastoid alloy, full body armour to keep the soldiers safe out on the field. In-helmet communications with digital encryption and laser transmission capability to ensure he knows his mission and can coordinate with his brothers effortlessly, making him an effective cog of the Imperial War Machine. All-weather anti-contaminant body glove to ensure safety from biological and or chemical agents. True Tread sold boots to give him sure footing while protecting our universe. The Blastec E11 standard Imperial issue blaster to enforce the law and defend order throughout the galaxy. The common Ewok warrior has a leather hood and a f***ing stick with a rock tied to it. Now I dare you to look me dead in the eye and tell me you actually believe the technologically superior empire got beaten by a bunch of teddy bears that don't even know how to wipe their own ass. Seriously, you'd have to be a complete moron to think that this farce could have ever happened. Yeah, there were a lot of little furballs running amuck in the trees that fateful day on Endor, but nowhere near the number needed to take down an entire legion of the Emperor's finest. There were how many? Okay, I'll be generous and say there were a thousand Ewok in the fight, but that still wouldn't be nearly enough to win the battle fought on the forest moon. I could even buy the idea that if millions of Ewoks attacked, wave after wave, eventually an Imperial Legion could theoretically fall, but not until every power cell and their weapons was emptied and the forest was littered with the dead bodies of literally thousands of Ewok warriors. Even then the Imperials would be far superior in hand-to-hand combat, plus there's the advantage of sheer size and mass. A rifle can become a powerful bludgeon in dire times, friend. And yes, we are most certainly trained in that technique should the need arise. This is obviously the worst case of anti-imperial propaganda that has ever cursed the proud history of the imperial military. It's just plain insulting to think that some of you actually believe it to be fact. It's designed to make us, the brave men of the armed forces, look like a bunch of hapless pussies. And I won't have this go on any longer. I'm TD0013, and this has been a different point of view. When I heard that, it's, it really emphasized how stupid that is. I mean, obviously, I thought it was stupid. like Because a rock hitting you on a helmet. If you're wearing a hard hat on a construction, um, a, a construction site, and a spanner hits you on the, on the hard hat, you're not going to die. You're not going to be then out of the count. No, you'd fall down, you'd get yourself back up, you'd shake it off, and then you'd shoot the Ewok who did it. Exactly. It, just, it would have been so much better if it was Wookiees. He says that, um, oh, you know, uh, what's it, Chewie's shown that with, you know, Wookiees are much more tech-savvy. When you look at the Battle of Kashyyyk in Episode 3, they're reasonably tech-savvy, but they're still using just sheer rage 
to take on the the, the yeah. armies of the droids. They're flying in those uh, little um, cast catamarans. Yeah, they're flying in the little catamarans. Even the ones what's it like the uh, uh, on the boats? They're swimming out to the boats, jumping on, dropping a grenade in, and running. That's not technological. That's just good sense. It's that's guerrilla warfare. It's it's what we wanted to see in the, in Endor. I think it, it, we could have had a lot more emotional impact in there, and we didn't need clone troopers either. Exactly. It just it's so it. Wookiees would not have been any less any less satisfying than than Ewoks. But they would have been so much more dignified. Exactly. I mean, kids love Wookiees. Chewie, everyone loves Chewie. Chewie's like a big, big growly teddy bear, albeit one who can kick your ass. Someone did say that it's possible that he wanted to market a lot of Wookiees, but it was cheaper to do Ewoks because the, the plastic cost less, and you could you could flog the figures for the same price, half the size. That's that's a grim idea. That, that, that's one I really hope isn't I always true. thought he didn't go with, through with the Wookiee idea because it was too expensive to film. Why? Why? You could just literally do what they did. It, literally have Endor be called Kashyyyk. We haven't even seen Kashyyyk apart from in the holiday special. And that was fact, a single drawing from uh, Ralph McQuarrie. In fact, Kashyyyk is, is very similar to Endor in that, you know, if we... Alarmingly so. Yeah, if we're going to go with the one tropic planets that the Star Wars universe has, hmm. it's woods. It's a wood planet. It falls in the wood crowd. I don't know, it, it just seems like there could have been more. It could have been so you know, much. And, and it, and we're not convincing the Jedi haters here, are we? It, it cheapens the space battle. As you so rightly point out, the space battle is incredible, mm. particularly if you play it on Star Wars Rogue Squadron 2 Rogue, uh, Rogue Leader on GameCube. That's amazing level. And it's it is the best star um, best space battle out of the entire that is one series. Game. It's difficult, but it's worth it. <laughs> yeah. Um. And, just, but, and that what's it? You know, having finished on such an amazing space battle, that's the one thing that the um, the prequels were missing. Well, I say the one thing, one of the many things that the prequels were missing. <laughs> the one is, thing. Uh, oh, it would have been perfect. Just sticking a space battle. Yeah. No, they but, sort of have one in Episode Three. They sort of have one in Episode Three. They There's a really good one in Clone Wars. I haven't seen Clone Wars, so I haven't I'm, seen Clone Wars yet. Oh. Um, yeah, it's it's such an amazing. Um, it's not as good though because there's nothing at stake in Clone Wars. You know they're going to be all right. Yeah, it's 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 such a great space battle, and it's cheapened by the fact that it comes back to. It's very much like Episode One. Like you've got this amazing twirly lightsaber battle, and it keeps cutting back to the slapstick Jar Jar mm. battle of of the Gungans. And it, you, you're like, I don't want to watch this shit. I want to watch the lightsabers. I want to watch the space battle. I As I said, they, they divided it up too much. In, in episode four, you just got one thing, Death Star run. Episode five, you got Luke fighting Vader. You got Chewie and Leia and Lando escaping Cloud City. Episode six, you got Endor. You got Luke on the Death Star. And you got the battle outside the Death Star. Episode one, you've got Darth Maul and Qui-Gon Jinn and Obi-Wan. You got the Gun Guns doing their stupid fight against the robots you got the gorilla battle of uh, Padme running around in her palace and you got Anakin flying around uh, you know up in space trying to get into the droid ca- it's just too much stuff yeah uh, they, they push it in Jedi I think they could probably I mean they could even have done it with minimal amounts of the actual physical battle of Endor the actual the space battle would have been enough but uh, on that note well, tr- well tr- I was I was just going to briefly say you know you Lucas was the guy who gave us the 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 event film, mm. and one of the, you know one of the things you want to do is you want to appeal to all markets there, and so yeah, what what I love about Jedi is is the interpersonal relationships. You know, uh, Luke confronting his father, 
uh, Luke and Luke Leia Han, uh, you know, uh, uh, messiness there, you know, getting the gang back together, you know, that's, that's for me is the heart of Jedi. Mm. It's much more Sarlacc, Sarlacc pit burping, you know, all that sort of stuff. Those are the kid. That those are things for the kids. I forgot the Sarlacc pit does burp. It eats Boba Fett and then burps. Ugh. Yes. And th- th- that's the only part time where he's badass because he's the only one badass enough to make Sarlacc burp. <laughs> All the others. <laughs> that will be the flamethrower. Okay. So badass, I call Sarlacc indigestion. I'm going to talk about Han Solo now. Han starts out a selfish mercenary who only seems to care about Chewbacca. Throughout the trilogy, we see him begin to soften until he cares about Luke, then Leia, and eventually the rest of the Rebel Alliance. Because of the solidarity of his friends who rescue him from the jaws of death, his character completes his arc and becomes a compassionate individual. Unfortunately for us, it happens in the first hour of Jedi, and it's not very interesting. We get no sense of a battle won with Han as he becomes a meeker and more agreeable character, and the guy we loved from the first two films trickles away until it's clear that Harrison Ford is just phoning it in. One of the initial ideas that Ford was very keen on was Han dying early in the film, which would have been during the rescue attempt, the idea being that if they could kill Han, then nobody was safe. You could see why few people involved with the film would want to follow the end of Empire with an immediately depressing follow-up. And it's true that as a kid watching Jedi, if he had died at all, I would have hated the movie at first. But let's journey into the realms of an alternative universe where the story played out differently. What if Han had flown the Falcon at the Battle of the Second Death Star instead of Lando? What if we'd had Chewbacca rather than Neen Nun, the alien co-pilot who spoke in Kenyan? What if Leia and Lando were heading up the ground team instead? So you have three storylines all intertwining, each with a strong character at the helm. But to do them justice and to close out with an even bigger bang, picture this scene. Leia blows up the shield generator. Han flies into the Death Star with Chewie, closely followed by Wedge Antilles. They destroy the reactor and then race the flames towards the exit. But the flames are faster. And as the Falcon begins to die, Han realizes he has only a few seconds left to talk to Leia. And there's really only one thing that he can say. The emotional reversal of roles from the carbon freezing chamber, which gets weakly referenced in Jedi anyway. Han tells Leia he loves her, thus completing his arc, and she tells him she knows, thus traveling all the way from a woman who needs nobody to one who desperately needs one man. The second Death Star explodes. Luke escapes, Wedge escapes, Han and Chewie go down in flaming glory, and Leia is caught halfway between elation and utter despair. fucking ending that would have been awesome although I do love the part where the flames burst out and the falcon bursts out you know afterwards you know it's great it makes you feel fantastic like yay 
Yeah, it's very much that yee-haw moment. But yeah, that, that, it's that a sacrifice of the Han character. You'd have, you'd remember Jedi as the best one if Han died in that one. You'd have started off hating it, but then it's like Empire times two. Yeah, because you start off really worried about him, and then you know he dies, but he died for the best of causes. Can I say something about Leia? Yeah, yeah, go for it. She I, gets I'm hardly a, anything to do in this film. I well, guess. she has a uh, one awesome, awesome moment in the film that uh, often gets overlooked. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm not a big fan of in, any of the indoor scenes. I think uh, this for me the speeder bike fight mm-hmm. uh, and the uh, Luke confronting Vader mm-hmm. on Endor, and this one scene that I'm going to talk about when Leia, when Luke finally gets to talk to Leia, mm-hmm. and she's told about. Veda being Luke's father, mm-hmm. and her reaction mm-hmm. is just priceless. I mean, you can really, you can like feel the disgust in in her yeah. voice. Because mm. this is like, a guy who tortured her and tortured Han. She's got everything to hate this guy about, and she still refers to him as your father, even when she knows that they're brother and sister. Right. And her reaction to me, I was like, you know, yeah, Padme was was you know cast off, but but at least. Lucas always championed Carrie Fisher, you know, mm. whether uh, she was the princess in white or the slave girl mm. or, or here as, you know, a woman now dealing with family issues. And uh, so, yeah, that one scene is like, wow, you know, as a kid, I hated that scene. But as an adult and I can react to things differently. Uh, it really showed how how good an actress uh, Carrie Fisher can be. Mm. It's my wife's favorite scene. So are we going to even talk about the fact that her gold bikini was probably the uh, the entry into pubescence for a lot of boys even before they were teens? I don't think we need to touch that. We can all just sit here, take a moment and reflect and go, mm. <sighs> slave layer. Mm. Anyway, moving on. The saving grace of Jedi, the thing that makes all the weaker moments melt into insignificance, is the poise and dignity of Mark Hamill's performance as Luke, against James L. Jones and David Prowse's contemplative, conflicted, but still looming and deadly specter of death in Darth Vader. There have been very few double acts distilled into a single character that work as well as Prowse and Jones, but the combination of powerful voice and powerful frame make for an awe-inspiring villain. And it's in this film, however, that he becomes human again, and that's all down to Luke. To the haters of Jedi, the next time you watch it, pay close attention to how well-balanced this battle is. Both opponents are calm and confident, both seem ready to die for what they believe in, and both are trying desperately to avoid that nagging sense of doubt that maybe they're wrong, maybe the side they've chosen will not succeed this day. The Emperor sits between them like a cat with two new playthings, batting one against the other and cruelly tormenting the pair. Luke, with his good intentions and stoicism, is consistently confronted with the futility of his situation and the black mirror beside him. Vader, in turn, is goaded time and again with what a weak disappointment of an apprentice he is and how his only option at this point is to assist this vicious old bastard in subjugating his only son in the most warped and twisted manner and to willingly die in the process. It's one of cinema's all-time best confrontations, definitely the best lightsaber duel in the whole saga, generating layer upon layer of symbolism and subtlety. In the end, Vader brings the worst out of Luke by setting his sights on the as-yet-untainted layer. Filled with revulsion, Luke attacks him, giving in to the dark side, if only it will preserve that speck of light he has left. And Vader collapses under the weight of Luke's ferocity, clearly horrified, both at his own deformed soul and his willingness to harm his children. 
As Luke hacks off his father's hand and holds him beaten and fallen at Saber Point, placing him in reverse of the situation at Cloud City, he glances at the smoking robotic stump on Vader's arm, and that is his own mechanical hand now shrouded in black leather. Realising that the only way he can possibly break this chain, beat this darkness, and claim any kind of victory over the Emperor, he tosses his saber away. The dark side cannot be destroyed from without. That is the self-perpetuating secret that nobody ever seems to have figured out. It must destroy itself from within. So when Vader witnesses his son's willing self-sacrifice, coupled with the mercy he has shown his father, despite all reasoning, it latches on to that kernel of goodness within Anakin, and the loathing he feels for Palpatine is finally given purpose. He's been meaning to murder this man for decades now, but it's always been for personal gain, power and selfishness. Now he throws the Emperor to his death to protect his son in a matching act of self-sacrifice, destroying his vital life support in the process, and finally bringing a short-lived balance to the Force. In the original trilogy, episodes 4, 5, and 6, this is the heart. Yeah. 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 This is why we didn't want it to switch to that awesome, awesome space battle, or the silly... Ewok uh, war down mm. on the on on the moon. Uh, we the civil war see. is just the backdrop for this this drama. Right, of, of right. We wanted to see this battle. We yeah. wanted to see it, and I think uh, it pays it pays off in spades. See, we didn't even realize that until the end of Empire. That for, for like two thirds of this trilogy, you don't know what it's about until after what, what the game changes in Empire, and that's when Jedi gets all of its focus. My favorite, uh, my probably my ultimate favorite scene is the, the the speech at the end after Vader takes his helmet off. But I think one of the most powerful, or the better one, is the conversation between Luke and his father down on uh, Endor. Oh yes, yeah, that's that, fantastic. That is, and if you watch it, he turns his back on his father as well, mm. and that that just that between those two characters is quite an interesting. You have to really watch that scene. There's a lot, uh, so much going on in that scene. Mm. I think it's fantastic. And, and, and this is the power. I, I don't know if it's, it's if it's simply filmmaking or staging or whatnot. Okay, so we have Vader and Luke in that in on the indoor scene, but also at the, on uh, when when the uh, the Emperor is basically zapping the life out of Luke, uh, and we look at you know both those areas has Vader conflicted. Mm. They're dealing with their identities. You know, they're, you know, both Vaders are dealing with the role they have chosen in life. But through the the suit, through the uh, through the mask, and through the raspy breathing, we see the conflict. And anyone who's done acting acting through a mask and conveying that meaning, that is that that's hard. That is hard, and yet we as viewers, we see the conflict. I see the um, conflict in you, Father. <laughs> there is no conflict. What It's interesting about that, the scene that Lefty was talking about where Luke's being hit with the Force Lightning. Mm. There's no voiceover. That is just David Prowse. And there's not a lot going on, but there's a lot going on, if that even makes mm. sense. Yeah, no, yeah, well, absolutely. I, I never, I'm not actually even thought about it, but Prowse does a fantastic job, Lefty. He's, right. one, of the, he's one of the actors... He's an actor in the movie that everyone forgets mm. because Darth Vader is James Earl Jones. Mm. No, it's two people. And would Vader been nearly effective without just the body acting? If it had been James Earl Jones in a suit. It'd have been a bit of a bigger suit. Yes. Shorter <laughs> and broader. To do my weekly spiel on John Williams' God, one of the reasons <laughs> the last lightsaber fight is just so incredible and works so much better. Is yes. because unlike so all the 
all the um, the prequel ones that got all dramatic music and oh yeah, it's exciting and bombast and majestic, and blah, 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 all that stuff. As do the ones to an extent in well, New Hope has no music, so mm. I don't feel as much atmosphere. Empire has just the Imperial March and as uh, quite a desperation. This one just has a mournful the Emperor's theme, and it's it's brilliant. It's, it's creeping. It's, a, it's creeping, and it's such a sad piece of music because you know either way. One of these people are going to lose. There's not going to be a happy ending where the two of them get to walk off into the sunset, father and son. I, and either way, the Emperor wins. The fact that this is the Emperor's theme, he is in complete control here. He's been waiting for this fight like for the last hour or so. He's been provoking this fight. This fight is almost on his terms. And either way, he wins. He either keeps his current apprentice or he gets a new one. Technically, he's been waiting for this fight since he recovered the ruined Darth Vader and put him in the suit. He's been like, right, I've got a better deal, you, because you suck. Mm. But, yeah, no, so he's finally, you know, at the point where he wants Luke badly. He never lets on so much, but he, he, he sees in Luke this incredible potential to have Vader, but a perfect Vader, and a non-warped and twisted and mechanically altered and, 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 and handicapped Vader, effectively. He's, he sees the Anakin that he was pursuing for ten years. Yeah, yeah. But, but pure and less rash and more controlled than Anakin as well. He, he actually respects Luke's uh, ability to, to withstand him, for, whereas Anakin's just like, alright, straight away in episode three. Um, to, 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 to the degree that the Emperor can respect, he respects Luke, and he, he kind of likes him. So when Luke goes, nah, you haven't won, he's, he's pissed off. Right. He's like, so be it, Jedi. And, that, and he's like, right, now I'm going to show you who the boss is. You don't fuck with Daddy. Right. And that's a significant event. You know, in praise of the Emperor, I like to say that the thing I really liked about it, and this, this is through all six of the movies, He's he's the one bad mofo. He is always three steps ahead in planning, you know. Even in 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 and and even more so in in Return of the Jedi, you know. Your your plan is fail. You know your faith in your your friend is yours, and you know your your overconfidence is your weakness. Yeah, exactly. Your faith he, in your he, friends is yours. He plans he plans well. I mean, he has an excellent day planner. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, 1pm, Luke Skywalker will come before me. (laughs) 2pm, he shall be by my side. 3pm, cancel milk. (laughs) He knows where the trend is headed. He knows where people people are going to be. And he knows the best way to try to twist them to his own ends. And... uh, I, 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 you gotta respect the evil, evilness in that, you know? Uh, it's that amazing moment where, um, he goes, it was I who let the rebels know their location of this, you know, right. I can't word for word, but then, you know, now it's, see it's the I power. who allowed the rebels to know the location of the right. shield generator. We are That's quite it. safe from your pitiful it's little brilliant. bad. Yeah. Yeah. And, and so, just, the fact that he's in control is just, I mean, you do actually right. think, shit, we are not going to beat this guy. He is actually quite scary. Yeah. He's right. you know, so we, And so here in, in Return of the Jedi, you know, at the beginning of this podcast, we talked about Jabba who doesn't really move and has control. And here we have, you know, you, you can almost re- look at him as, as, as a, uh, well, as a stuffed you know, shirt or a stuffed, uh, literally a puppet, you know, and here's the real thing, you know. He he only gets up at the end. You know how how many times do we actually see the emperor stand in five or six? And he has control, the most control, and he's most menacing when he's sitting right there, 
just a few feet from Luke Skywalker's and saying, strike me down with all your hate. In short, basically, there is no wasted movement from the Emperor. Everything is done with Rather like He just needed a... Oh, there was something else I wanted to say. Oh, the the music Mm -hmm. for the uh, the fight. Um, I love love just listening to that music of that fight, especially Mm. when when Luke gives into his rage Mm. and, and that battle, you know, again, you know, you have that battle of finesse, you know, they're mm. pairing fights. And then when, when Luke goes apeshit, it is so, uh, physical. You can, you can feel the, the exertion that, that, you know, with every stroke that, uh, that Luke, uh, uh lashes out with. And mm. then you have that almost like a Russian choir come up. And yeah. Like, it's just this male oh, voice just going, oh, 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 Yeah. It's, just, it's, it's awesome. It's awesome. Reminds me of the Moria theme from, uh, Fellowship of the Ring. Mm. Calrissian is a positive role model in the realm of science fiction fantasy. Fuck Lando Calrissian, Uncle Tom, nigga. Only some white boy gotta invoke the Holy Trilogy. Bust this. Those movies are about how the white man keeps the brother man down, even in a galaxy far, far away. Check this shit. You got cracker farm boy Luke Skywalker, Nazi poster boy, blonde hair, blue eyes. And then you got Darth Vader, the blackest brother in the galaxy, Nubian God. What's a Nubian? Shut the fuck up. Now, Vader, he's a spiritual brother, you know, down with the force and all that good shit. Then there's Cracker, Skywalker. Gets his hands on a lightsaber, and the boy decides he's going to run the fucking universe. Gets a whole clan of whites together. And they going to bust up Vader's hood, the Death Star. Now, what the fuck do you call that? Intergalactic Civil War? Gentrification! They're going to drive out the black element to make the galaxy quote-unquote safe for white folks. And Jedi's the most insulting installment because Vader's beautiful black visage is sullied when he pulls off his mask to reveal a feeble, crusty old white man. They're trying to tell us that deep inside, we all wants to be white. In retrospect, what do you feel about Vader's unmasking? I love that bit. We all wanted it. We all wanted it. Yeah, I still love that moment. It's great. Me too. It's 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 a fantastic bonding moment between between the two of them, and 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 a sense of you feel a completion to Luke. And uh, so, 
Shaw also does a really good job of, of speaking with James L. Jones' mannerisms. You actually believe it's the same voice. <laughs> like, so, what's it like? You know, the Force Unleashed the, um, has got that guy impersonating James L. Jones. He's the best out of the game so far because he doesn't just put on a new voice and talk like that. He actually pronounces the words the same sort of way that James L. Jones does, and <laughs> Shaw did that. Didn't he actually start off doing a, a YouTube parody of Darth Vader and was so good they recruited him? I think it was Chad Vader. Yes, it is Chad Vader. Yeah, yeah I'll double check that, but yeah. I'm sure it is. Right, the future of Star Wars. This is only a fever dream I had of a possible future instalment in the Star Wars saga, but it's actually more likely than most considering the history of this company. One of the technologies developed by Lucasfilm as a result of Star Wars was a very special computer capable of rendering smooth, colourful graphical animation way back as far as 1986. It was called... Pixar? The Pixar Image Computer, and was created by The Graphics Group, the basis for the company that we now know today as the best development studio in the world, with a 100% batting average of quality. Since Pixar wouldn't exist without ILM and following the monumental success and adoration for Wall-E, the character himself, both brought to life and even voiced by the sound wizardry of Star Wars' Ben Burt, how would it be to let the House of Luxo Lamp create a single film that follows R2-D2 and C-3PO in their adventures just before A New Hope? I have two words to say to that. Oh, yeah. Yes, it would be a contemporary update of the execrable Droids cartoon, but can you think of any other studio who are more capable of infusing life into toys, bugs, fish, cars, and most pertinently, robots? Anthony Daniels and Ben Burt would doubtless jump at the chance to resume their roles, and the story would not be bogged down by what has to happen or exposition. So much can be conveyed in Pixar's famously detailed visual manner. It's true that Pixar to date have only handled their own stories, but Marvel are currently in talks with the studio for a Doctor Strange movie, so there's precedent to be made. Imagine a galaxy full of stormtroopers and Imperials constantly hunting down the newly emerging Rebel Alliance, with the two smallest, most insignificant beings caught in the middle once again. With the right focus and the customary bar of quality set in the stratosphere, Pixar could well make the best Star Wars movie since Empire. I happen to know that one of our listeners fulfills the amazing fortune and skill requirements to actually work at Pixar. To him, I say, pass this episode of Gonzo around. Get the idea into the heads of your colleagues, because everybody listening right now is nodding vigorously. This would work. Even if he wants to take it for his own idea, just get it done. (laughs) I guess we'll have to eat this boring oatmeal. It's a trap! Your tongues can't repel flavor of that magnitude. There's a prize in every box. Admiral Akbar cereal. Now with rice shrimp. New trilogy. October 25th, 2010. Big honking Saturday morning rumor here. According to IESB.net, George Lucas will be creating a new trilogy once the first six Star Wars movies go 3D. This echoes what Lucas did in the 1990s after the original trilogy was re-released. This may be bollocks, but... George Lucas is plotting to create new Star Wars movies at the ultra-top-secret Skywalker Ranch. This is deja vu of the mid-90s when Uncle George started tweaking the Holy Trilogy to gear up for the special editions. These new films will have nothing to do with the live-action TV series currently in development. That show already has over 50 scripts ready to go, and plenty of pre-production time and money has been spent on artwork and storyboards. Once that show goes into production, Lucasfilm hopes to be able to produce at least 100 episodes, since that is the threshold for syndication in the United States. 
Fans can expect the new trilogy after the entire saga is released in 3D, which is expected to be completed around 2015 or 2016. So we're talking hoverboards here, kids. Also, the trilogy is reported to kick off approximately 24 months after the 3Ding of Return of the Jedi, and the next three episodes, which could be either episodes 7 to 9 or 10 to 12, could possibly occur as far as 100 years or 1,000 years in the Star Wars universe future. Furthermore, the IESB source claims that the movie will not focus on the Skywalker clan, thank Christ. Now, James, this is when you first said... Fit him with a restraining bolt. Why would you not want to see three more Star Wars movies? Why? Okay, I, I'm... Did you see the last three? (laughs) (laughs) Sorry, last four. Oh, God. Well, hello. Oh, yeah, of course, you're including Clone Wars in this one. Thank you. Bear with me. Bear with me on this one. Right. So, initially, when I first read, you know, possibly doing more Star Wars films, you instantly think seven to nine. I don't... And and you can't do that, because as much as I haven't read any of it, I know there's so much expanded universe out there. There's nothing not accounted for. I mean, Christ, I I tried reading The Truth of Bakura, which takes place directly after The Return of the Jedi. Yes, the first one. And I know that... Which sucks. And I I know that there are novels that go... Aren't they fighting lizards in that? Something like that. I don't know. The Rook. The Rook. And they... Yeah. Ugh. Something like that. Don't read that one. But there's there's books and comics and video games and everything accounting for all stories. But none of which Lucas has to be beholden to. He doesn't have. He could just go right. This is seven, eight, and nine, and he could make Vader into. You know, he could bring Vader back and go. I'm not dead. What Star Wars need is Star Wars: The Next Generation. I mean, that's what you know. We need to say, yeah, what went on, what went on, Mm. but we want to tell new stories. Yeah, and you know, and have just faint linkages between the two, but we need a new universe. And you know what else we need? We need something that we can honestly say can have an R rating. Could you imagine, you know, Geek's favorite director if... uh, Are you out of your mind? Listen to me. That's his key demographic. I know, I know, I know, but one day Lucas has to die too, you know, a thousand years and he he won't look so good you know i'm, I'm sure there will be a r-rated something some sort of project but they, they were pushing it with the force unleashed I mean, we're talking uh, jedis with the force we're talking lightsabers that can uh you know tear tear limbs from people could you imagine th- that property in the hands of someone like a quentin tarantino particularly you know with the the usage of time you know switching from one uh battle plane to another or even better, someone like a Christopher Nolan. I'm not saying it wouldn't be awesome. That would be fucking awesome. But I, I can't say that there's so many steps that have to happen between now and oh, then. I know, I know. It needs to slowly grow up. But you're, you're right about us needing a next generation. I think Star Wars remake? Yeah, I think Ooh. that one's more likely. It's more likely. I mean, look at Star Trek Eleven. Huge bucks. People love those original characters, but give it a fresh coat of paint, some new acting. I mean, just allow people to properly act and yeah, make it really fast-paced. Add time travel. Well, they don't have to yeah. do exactly the same thing. They just literally remake Star oh, no, Wars. With, it's with it's, you, it's up there with the things Dark like, Knight. with the exception of the Dark Knight films. I don't think reboots work brilliantly. Like, Dawn of the Dead, Ocean's Eleven, King Kong, Little Shop of Horrors, Desperado, Inglorious Bastards, The Incredible Hulk, Superman Returns, The Office, Battlestar Galactica, Casino Royale. Massive Bond fan that I am, even I don't think the Daniel Craig Bond films are a patch on the first 20. Are you meant? Are you out of your tree, Jay? <laughs> Back from the dead, assholes! Boba's got himself a lightsaber now. Oh, make 
together. What does it make? Purple rain! Oh no, he's getting away! What's this button here? <laughs> this long range missile couldn't possibly, could it? Oh, and the quarterback is toast. Oh, Hey, he got the girl. What's with all the clothing? Why don't you? There's more comfortable. Right on. Oh, oh, careful the antenna, baby. And that would be the most awesomest thing to ever happen in the history of ever. Can somebody give me a sock? Well, for, so, for yeah. Stuff, I mean, I, I'm, I will be very interested when this gets taken out of Lucas ha- Lucas's hands. I don't want him to die. I don't wish bad things on anyone. But I feel like he's not going to let go. He's he's holding on too strongly. I, I, I would like him to let go and step back and let some younger creative types who've got more skill than him get at these fantastic ideas that he's had over the years. Like Stan Lee does that. He doesn't jealously guard Spider-Man. But I think that they could they could remake Star Wars. And even if they don't, they could do a very Star Wars-style film where they effectively remake it, but set it thousands of years in the future in a Star Wars-style universe, and then they could have ownership of it, and they could do, do with it what they want. No one's going to be like, well, we know Darth Vader's his father. It's kind of a ref- it's a reverse Kotor, isn't it? Kotor, mm. you know, Knights of the Old Republic works brilliantly. It's completely separate. It's completely separate from the original storylines mm. um, because it's a thousand years before. Mm. But the key elements are still there: the Force, the Sith, the lightsabers, etc. Yeah. If you did that a thousand years later, then yeah, I, I honestly, yeah, I think that could work. You'd be even so less constrained than Kotor would be because ultimately, with Kotor, you can't. I mean, you could have crazy technology uh, and at the same time be very much lived in. You aren't constrained by anything if you're a thousand years in the future. I think you can't change too much. As much as a thousand years in the future, if there was you still like got to have uh, the same planets, for example. Yeah, exactly. Well, I, I, if they did like a Star Wars Matrix or something, or something, or a Star Wars Minority Report or something, oh I, God. it's too. I don't even know what that means. <laughs> well, I was going to point out it has worked before. Look at the next generation in Star Trek. That's yeah. about a hundred years after Kirk. Yeah. It worked. Yeah. yeah. That's all you need is a hundred years later. Yeah. Things yeah. are similar but different. Yeah. Convene all ships on Endor. I want the moon obliterated and the rebels wiped from the face of the galaxy. Sorry, sir. Actually, we can't. The rebels have won. What what do you mean they won? We have tens of thousands of ships. We we control countless worlds. We have millions of troops at our disposal. But they just blew up the second Death Star and killed the Emperor. So? So that means they won. How does that mean they won? They blew up the first Death Star years ago and the fighting continued. but they didn't kill the Emperor. They had to do both. We can't fight back. No, sorry. This is the end of the Empire. Really? You're afraid so. That's it, then. What do we do now? I guess we could go get a massage. Uh, Let's do that. Further reading. After much consideration, we're not going to be doing a Gonzo episode on the Expanded Universe. We need to discuss things that have all been shared. So much of what we could talk about is obscure, and some of it is out of print or unobtainable. What we can do is suggest some books, comics, games, and other media for you guys to check out, along with some brief explanations. So, gentlemen, pick two things that you would suggest our listeners go out and experience. Okay, I'm going to pick two video games. Okay. Were two video game trilogies, if I may. Sure. The Rogue Squadron trilogy on Nintendo formats. Mm-hmm. Um, Rogue Squadron being on N64, and I believe there was a PC port, and then Rogue Leader and Ro- Rebel Strike on uh, GameCube. Which will work on the Wii, won't they? Yeah, they will. In fact, if you can get those, either, particularly Rogue Leader. Rogue Leader is amazing, absolutely amazing game, and it really does make you feel like you're part of these massive space battles, which, which the original trilogy was so famous for. Mm. And it really captures the spirit of the original trilogy in terms of the overall rebel versus 
Empire Conflict. Mm. The other one would be the Jedi Knight trilogy. It was just such a classic game. It was really good. It, you know, it still stands up today. I mean, all right, the technology's a bit old, but it still stands up today. It was a good enough story. Jedi Knight 2, I still think, was brilliant. It was the first, it, you know, it, it introduced really decent lightsaber versus lightsaber battles. You started having um, random people uh, turn up, the Reborns, who were kind of not even bosses. They were just tougher enemies with lightsabers. And the Jedi Academy is just brilliant you really do feel like a jedi knight of the new of the galactic alliance etc and it's just it's fantastic you get to you know customize your lightsaber. you can have two you can have a dual one like darth maul and the the storyline whereas like the first two kind of stick in two or three locations the the third one jedi academy really does like stretch over the whole universe it's brilliant okay new kotor <sighs> i was gonna go for that okay. <laughs> anyone who listens to game verse knows my love of kotor so much so that I'm tempted to get the old Republic. I've got to say, Kotor, because that gives you a Star Wars experience without having to worry about watching the movies or having anything to do with the movies. It's it's a Star Wars experience in its own right, mm. which is fantastic. The other one pick I'll give you is a book trilogy, which feels like a very good continuation of the Star Wars story, which is the Thrawn trilogy. There's three books in that series, and it's uh, the first one is Heir to the Empire. Mm-hmm. Pick that up, and I guarantee you, you will read that book, and you will want to read the next two. It's a fantastic set, and I'd love to see those adapted to the big screen. Yeah. If either of you have that series and want to lend me that, that'd be great. It's already in, it'll be in the post soon, James. Very <laughs> much. Uh, my two are going to be another video game, The Force Unleashed, the best Star Wars plot since Return of the Jedi. For me, at least. I, I really engage with this. It's set uh, before A New Hope, and it's about Darth Vader's secret apprentice, I'm not going to spoil too much of it. It's basically God of War with Jedi powers. And it, some of the combat's annoying. There were times that I started screaming. But compared with the second one, which I'm playing at the moment, the plot is through the roof fantastic and really, really worth your while playing through. Um, and I cannot recommend it enough. You can pick it up for about £17 these days. And, folks, when you get to the Star Destroyer bit, don't believe the on-screen instructions. Yeah, that's the only thing that drove me nuts. It, it, it keeps telling you to push it left and push it right and then pull down. If you just just use the force and ignore the computer, you'll know when to push it down. The second one, I think, is only going to really appeal to a very select amount of people. But if you used to collect the Star Wars figures and you want to sort of reminisce about that, track down Star Wars The Action Figure Archive by Stephen J. Sansweet. Uh, it's a big hardback book. It's about 24 quid on uh, Amazon right now, although in America it's $113, so you may have more difficulty checking it down over there. Uh, it's every single Star Wars figure ever made in the original vintage collection is given at least half a page to itself with loads of full-color photos of all the packaging and all the accessories and stuff and all the vehicles. And then a, a big handful of the uh, 1990s series of Power of the Force is also given... Uh, a decent spotlight at the beginning of the book so you can see how they progressed it's way out of date now because there's been a bajillion figures made since but it's still the best way of looking back on the old action figures without having to buy every single one of them
Revisited. This is one of the most popular fan edits on the net. It's edited by a man named Adrian Sace or Adiwan, and it's based on the 2004 DVD of Episode 4, A New Hope, but with some extremely professional colour correction, smoother edits between some shots, fixing of some sound glitches, making the lightsabers look more like the ones in Empire and Jedi, and some nice little personal touches. Unlike George, he doesn't mess with too much, but he does ensure Han shoots first, Greedo shoots never, Jabba's been removed, several Imperial ships have been seamlessly and impressively added, and the Falcon maneuvers more like it did in Empire, and I won't spoil what happens during the fight between Vader and Obi-Wan, but he's made it a lot more dynamic. It's his light, subtle touch, but extreme attention to detail that has won over the hearts of many otherwise frosty Star Wars fans, and I urge you all to find this on YouTube, where it plays in crystal clarity. He's apparently going to be applying this treatment to the other five films, which made me go and look at a few other fan edits, including the Phantom edit and Attack of the Phantom. These attempt to make the prequels more watchable by editing out the annoying bits, the meaningless bits, and the bits that are confusing or go nowhere. After watching them, I... (laughs) After watching them, I construed that they were way, way too lenient. It got me thinking what was actually of worth in these films, and I realised that you could boil it down to about 90 minutes of important events if you were just going to focus on Anakin's story and leave the upheaval of the Galactic Republic in the background. So I've begun my own fan edit. Stretching over all three prequel films, I will attempt to make it into one hopefully exciting, interesting and coherent story. I don't have the technical know-how to retouch special effects, but I do know how to compose a scene, and crucially, how to edit a motormouthed buffoon who keeps falling over out of it entirely. My Aim at the End is a film that can be viewed by fans of the original trilogy who were disappointed with the prequels, but still wanted to see them done well. I'll also be using the notes we put together preparing for these podcasts on what the films should have been. It's the closest I'll ever get to directing my own Star Wars movie. It's called Star Wars Episode One: Fall of the Jedi. And I should actually be done with it in the not-too-distant future. Go to our forum for updates on where I am, and if you'd like to make a suggestion, I always love constructive feedback and input from our passionate community. And I've already put one key moment up on YouTube, so search for New Amidala Death Scene. Chris, James, and Neil, please pimp your shows. Okay, so all the listeners out there, just imagine me becoming one with the Force and I'm looking all glowy, and you can listen to me over at the Merry Gamers uh, podcast and also on a new entertainment-focused podcast called Global Village Idiots. Thank you, Marshall McLuhan, for that. That's nice. And uh, that will be coming out uh, on this Monday. So as soon as you're listening to this episode, you can also uh, check out that episode, in which our first topic, coincidence, is Star Wars 3D and people's feeling of ownership of of films like that. Nice. Well, you can find me and Neil at uh, Gameburst, which is www.gameburst.co.uk. We do a half an hour show every Sunday and Thursday. Sundays is on the latest gaming news, and Thursday is on an interesting roundtable discussion, or our monthly quiz, which is always good fun. Well, I love the ending of Return of the Jedi. In fact, um, far from crying over the Ewok, this time, probably for the first time, when Luke burns Vader's body, just room got a little dusty. It's it's a great moment, and... um, it didn't really feel like an end to me until many years later when I, I thought there's never going to be another Star Wars film. Okay, and so, oh no, I didn't hope. I wanted there to be. I wanted Episode One to be good. I, I've believed for a while that it was. That is the big difference between Episode Six and Episode Three. At the end of Episode Six, it left you wanting more. At the end of Episode Three, you never wanted to go back. You're just done with it. I always found that Jedi was um, a 
not a disappointment. I said a disappointment. That's probably a little bit too harsh, but it wasn't as good as an ending to the trilogy as I had hoped for. Mm. It was a great ending. It was a great trilogy. And I thought, you know what? These films are brilliant. I love them. They're fantastic. Jedi just happens to not be as good as Empire. They kind of peaked in the middle. It's a shame it didn't build up. Then the prequels came out. And, and I originally, I loved the prequels. I, I did. I, I enjoyed them. I, you know, um, I went to see Star Wars The Phantom Menace at Leicester Square Odeon when I was 12, 13. And the, the feeling you get at seeing Star Wars in the cinema, like on a screen that big, when the, the logo goes back in the opening crawl, that was still amazing. Even for Revenge of the Sith and Attack of the Clones, that was still amazing. But the overall content of the film just left me wanting. Listening to Gonzo Gaming and the prequel episodes you guys did, it made me realise how, truly how flawed those films are. Mm. And I listened, and I, 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 I'm now going to spend the rest of my life craving the the prequels that you envisaged of, you know, Darth Vader arriving at the end of the second or early third film and hunting down the Jedi. And and we're never going to get that. You're only going to get that through fan fiction or your own imagination. And as you quite accurately pointed out, you just can't rewrite the prequels. It's impossible to do. They're too ingrained, like a tick. Yeah. Now. They're accepted as canon. I, I really love The End of Jedi. It's, it's a warm, comfortable movie for me. And uh, while it does have its flaws and it's not as technically good as Empire, to me it feels like the perfect companion piece to the other two. And uh, I, I can't personally envisage, aside from maybe get, getting hands on better and, and having it set with the Wookiees, I wouldn't have changed too much about this film. And there's still... The, the final shot still provokes this kind of warm feeling inside when you look at like yeah they're all gathered round mm. Lando, Han, Chewie, Luke, Leia the droids, Wedge and they're all gathered round as good mates and they're just laughing they're happy and it almost looks like one of those group photos and mm. um, one of those class of 88 photos and you look at them and it, it, it is almost looking back on like the kind of high school photo in the yearbook and think you know what we had such great time together with these people I'm really glad I did this and yep. then it fades up that is all from the Star Wars saga for now and that is all from us this week. Gonzo will return next week. We have another series of movies to talk about. For a little taste of what you can expect, stick around for the last few seconds of this podcast. Until then, I've been Alex Shaw. I've been Neil Taylor. I've been James Batchelor. And I have been Lefty Brown. And may the Force be with you. 